Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Lend Us Your Ears. To celebrate the Queen's Platinum Jubilee, BBC Arts and the Reading Agency compiled a list of 70 titles written throughout the Queen's reign by authors from across the Commonwealth. I'm here with books, reading and cultural librarians Anna and Becca to talk about some of our favourites. So Anna, would you like to talk us through your favourite novel? Oh, I would, Tom. Thank you so much. I think having a look at the list, um, the big Jubilee read list, it was really tricky for me to try and pick a book to talk about in particular. There's a few that really stood out to me. And I think that one that I have to talk about now is The Handmaid's Tale by Margaret Atwood. So that's from the 1982 to the 1991 sort of time frame. And that is not just because I've got an amazing Margaret Atwood real life story where I met her, which I might have to cut to at the end. The Handmaid's Tale, some of you might have read it, um, some of you might have watched the TV series with Elizabeth Moss, um, but it's just an incredible dystopian feminist nightmare of a book and there really is just no other way of describing it. And I just think reading it as a woman is just quite terrifying at times, um, but it's just a really important must read. So in the world of The Handmaid's Tale, America is no more, and it's now the Republic of Gilead, a totalitarian theocratic state. Our narrator is Offred, and we learn that she is a handmaid. In this world, there is a fertility crisis and dangerously low reproduction rates. So handmaids are assigned to bear children for elite couples that have trouble conceiving. There is this horrendous monthly ritual involving Offred, the husband and the wife, in order to try and conceive. And in this story, we never learn the real name of our narrator. She's known as Offred. And if you think about it, that name, it's of Fred. So it's like belonging to the person that she is bound to in a way. It's very constrictive. And in this world, every single right has been taken away from women. There's no freedom. So she can only leave the house to go on shopping trips. She can never shut her bedroom door and she can never do anything that she independently wants to do. There's a secret police force called the Eyes and they're always watching, which I think is just quite a good name. They're always watching the Eyes. And then they just take away people who step out of line. You never know who to trust in Gilead. As the story unfolds, Offred learns of an underground resistance movement going against the laws of the state. I won't reveal anything else. You just have to read it to find out more if you haven't read it already. It's just an amazing story. It's a real sort of like feminist think piece. And it just the world that she creates is terrifying and so beautifully written. It's very dystopian and wonderful and also I've just I've met Margaret Atwood in real life when I was working in a pub in Norwich and I served her a half pint and had my ultimate fangirl moment with her saying I love your book so much so she's wonderful very lovely woman that is my book that I've chosen to talk about if you haven't read it please read it have either of you read The Handmaid's Tale yep I studied it for a level yeah I really I really really liked it it took a little while to get into I think I think because like with her sequel, The Testaments, I think early on it jumps around in time quite a lot. That's my memory of it, at least. And, but once I got used to that, it was a very, very interesting and intriguing read. And obviously it does have slight parallels with the real world without going too much into it. Absolutely. Yeah. It's really interesting because it is one of those books that I've probably read a half two thirds of it even and I've gone back to it and I just cannot make myself finish it I just and I mean I really like to read 
crime and thrillers and murders and all sorts of horrible things and yet Mm. for me it's just so bleak and so it makes me think it it is almost could be true to a future world and Mm. I think that's what's so I find so difficult and bleak with it um but then I know like the majority of people absolutely rave about it or people have seen the tv series and um maybe one day I I will go back to it but I think being a woman reading it yeah I find it really a struggle yeah no I totally get that and I think it is such a terrifying read and I completely understand that you can't get through it because I'd love to say oh yeah it's got a really like happy ending but (laughs) that's just not the reality of it and it is so terrifying that oh what if this you know one day could be true um but I think that's probably well that must have been the point of why she wrote such a novel to have something that is so this is so terrifying it could be true it's such for me it's such an important sort of work of literature because it does tell that story that you don't really want to happen but it potentially might um so just a testament follow on from it i mean obviously you probably can't say too much without giving it it away yeah yes i've never read the testaments i've got it on my bookshelf ready to read it's in my pile but i haven't read it yet yeah it's three people all of them sort of have a connection to off-bread but part of their story is told in flashback so you kind of see the beginnings of this world being created but also you see the fight continue against Gilead so it's it's a wraparound thing yeah I'm assuming no one's seen the series because I I don't know where that goes in relation to the books so it's quite different to the books so I would say no spoilers but the book has quite an open ending whereas the series I can't remember what series they're on now maybe at least two, maybe three. The writers sort of carried on the storyline. Yeah, but the se- I've watched the first series and it is very good. I think it's also very harrowing, like the book. So probably not one for you, Becca, um, <laughs> if you can no. get through the book. <laughs> <laughs> I hope that the book you're going to talk about is probably much lighter than this subject matter. But Oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> oh, OK. <laughs> so, Becca, what did you have to recommend from the list? So again, I had a look at the list and I'll be honest, um, it was quite a limited selection that I had read already. There are many things on there that I've been meaning to read for years, but I chose one that I had seen have been really popular with reading groups sort of throughout my time in the library service. And um, looking at the list encouraged me to try something that, yeah, I'd meant to read, but hasn't really ever made the time to. Um, so I chose The God of Small Things by Arundhati Roy. Um, so this was published in 1997 and it actually won the Booker Prize that year. It was Arundhati Roy's uh, debut novel and what a novel it is. The language and the descriptions are just superb and absolutely beautiful it's about uh two seven-year-old twins esther and rahel and a couple of shocking events that happen in their childhood and the consequences of those on them and their family members throughout their lives it flits between 
sort of the past when they were young twins and what their life was like um, in Kerala in the 1960s in India. Um, it's this rural Indian town and sort of the complexity of the world that they live in. There's a number of different family members who uh, the book focuses on. And at times I found it a bit of a struggle to kind of keep track of the timeline and, and who was who and how they were related to whom um, because it moves between when the twins are young and then something happens which takes them away from each other in their young lives and then they come back together later on in the book um, as adults and see how their lives and what what's happened to them sort of um, has shaped them as adults and it sort of delves into questions of like social and cultural sort of boundaries there's um themes of really hard themes of um sort of abuse and uh love but perhaps not love in the conventional sense and how different way different people in different ways that you can love and yeah it was a challenging read it's absolutely beautiful but there are some really harrowing parts but then there's some also lovely sort of perspectives from you know seven-year-old children and, and the way that they see the world um, and I would really recommend it and I think it took many years for Aaron Dati Roy to write the next novel but I think that again was possibly book a long list so um, they're well worth the time that they take. And I won't tell you who the god of small things is, but um, you will have to read it for yourself. <laughs> so have I inspired either of you to read it? Yeah, absolutely. It yeah, it sort of ticks all my boxes. Tom, what is the book that you have chosen to talk about with us? So my pick is Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy by Douglas Adams, which was published in 1979. So I must have been about 11 when I first read the book and all of its various sequels. There are actually five books by Douglas Adams and then I think Owen Colfer wrote a sixth one as well read it several times since i had the bbc radio production on cassette and could probably quote it it turns out actually the book was adapted from the radio version so it somehow made this list of the best 70 books when actually that's not its original format which i didn't realize before and just in researching it like what i realized is for something so fantastical it's really quite down to earth because it starts off in such a boring place where this character arthur dent He's down on his luck and he's just wearing his pyjamas and dressing gown, laying down in front of a digger because his house is about to be demolished in order to build a road. He knew nothing about the plans because there were so many layers of bureaucracy that he couldn't even see the plans. But little does he know that at the same time, the same thing is happening to Earth, which is due to be demolished to make a hyperspace expressway, uh, a plan that all of the Earth Earthlings knew nothing about which all make his problems seem very insignificant, but at the same time also very familiar, which I think is Douglas Adams' real skill. You follow Arthur throughout, which is quite a good thing to do as well, because he's such a fish out of water that you're learning things at the same time as him. He's constantly having the strange universe explained to him, but never in a way that feels too expositional. And while the events of the book are really off the wall, there are elements that are surprisingly accurate. So the actual book within the book is called The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which is just basically a, a lonely planet for people traveling through space but it's a handheld device that gives you all the answers to anything you want to know about the universe which sounds an awful lot like a smartphone 
maybe with Wikipedia on it or maybe something more reliable. And even the noise of the book in the radio production sounds like the clicks that like early smartphones made. And in my nerdy brain, I realise there's so much other stuff that permeated popular culture. So the idea that 42 is the answer to life, the universe and everything. Annoying my wife on a trip to Norway by insisting that the fjords were created by a character called Slarty Barkfast. In this universe, you can understand what someone is saying in any language by putting a fish in your ear called a babel fish. Um, that's now a popular web-based translation service. And even the character Marvin the Paranoid Android was supposedly the influence for the Radiohead song Paranoid Android. So there's just so much to it. And actually, just in writing the stuff I was going to say about it, I realised I liked the book even more than I remembered. That is amazing. I know, well, I recognised all of those references that you just said, but I had no idea that it had anything to do with the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy series. That's amazing. Uh, you've totally sold it to me. It's one of those ones that always sort of gets talked about. And yeah. um, and I've again, I've I've never read it, but it just sounds brilliant. And like Anna, I recognise, yeah, all those sort of references, but just didn't know where where they come from. But it is like a, is it a cult hit, do you think? I mean, it is very... It probably started that way. Yeah. I feel like if it's making that list, these kind of lists, it's probably gone beyond that. But I think, yeah, yeah, it definitely started that way. Tom, have you read the entire series then? I've read all the ones by Douglas Adams. Um, I haven't read the extra one. I didn't even realise there was a fifth one for quite a few years. I definitely recommend the first two books. It goes two or three and then it goes a bit strange even by its own standards. Yeah, I loved it. And like of all the, there are quite a few books I'd read on the list, but it just really, really stood out. It's so nice. The thought of you as like an 11 year old with your cassette tape version of it. Yeah. <laughs> Funny how. Love that. Books on cassette. Yeah. How For me, it was Dick Smith as a child. Oh, I love Dick Smith. Yeah. Yeah. Absolute yeah. classic. I mean, for me, it was Stephen Fry reading Harry Potter. That was the yeah. Ah, yeah. ultimate comfort. Stephen Fry pace of. <laughs> The voice of the book yeah. in the film of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Oh, look at that. Everything wow. relates to the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. <laughs> and Stephen Fry. And Stephen Fry, this is what I'm learning. <laughs> were, were there any other books that really stuck out for you on the list that you had experience of or anything on there that you maybe wanted to read in future? As I said, um, it wasn't a list I'd read as many as perhaps I would have hoped from, but um, I've also read and loved, albeit a long time ago, um, The Book Thief by Marcus Suzak. I haven't seen the film um, of that one because the book is just so precious. I just don't want to ruin my sort of feelings about it. A really powerful book um, set in World War Two, um, where death is a character. Um, it's really cleverly told, and it's um, yeah set against the the backdrop of Nazi Germany, um, which is something I'm sort of quite interested in. Um, so that one I would definitely recommend. Um, the other one that I've read from the list was Life of Pi, again, read many years ago. Um, I'm not sure I can really champion it. Um, it's beautifully written, um, but it's actually one of those books where, do you know what? I enjoyed the film more. The film was absolutely visually stunning and where I struggled slightly to make sense of the story, um, it all came to life in the film um, that was my experience of it. But in terms of ones 
that I want to read. I have wanted for years to read Picnic at Hanging Rock by Joan Lindsay and this list has prompted me to borrow it from the library. So that is next on the list. Um, and also to read The Promise um, by Damon Galgut, um, which I haven't um, done so yet. That looks possibly to be a challenging read um, and one that, yeah, um, I'm really looking forward to. Have, have either of you read any of those? Life of Pi. What did you think? Uh, I really loved it. I um, I just think it's amazing that it's a book that's mostly just a man and a tiger on a boat in the middle in of the boat. sea. Yeah. And yeah, I wasn't bored. It was a bit of a page turner for me. I just think that's that's incredible just on its own. Yeah, I understand that. I, I think maybe I was trying to get something out of it that I think I saw the sort of some of the characters as as metaphors for other things in the boy's life, and perhaps I was just perhaps it just wasn't the right time that I was reading it. I think perhaps if I read it, I read it when I was a fair bit younger, and I think maybe if I read it now, I might have more of a an appreciation of it. Maybe I should give it another go. I haven't read either of those books, but again, it's just sometimes there's too many books, too little time. And those ones just haven't made the cut for me. But who knows? One day, maybe. You haven't read The Promise? No, but it's on my bookshelf to read. Aww. So my mum got it for me for Christmas last year. So it's just on my list. But working in the library means that I'm surrounded by library yeah. books that just sort of take sort of take over a bit. That's the thing, isn't it? If you borrow it, you feel there's like a time restraint to, yeah, to read it. Yeah. And obviously, if you've got things on your bookshelf, those ones sometimes wait the longest, don't they? Absolutely. I've just got, I've got, I sort of organised my bookshelves quite proudly. They're like my pride of joy. But my, I've got one shelf that I've got, basically I haven't read anything on there. And that's like my work in progress shelf. But then the pile behind me, I've got one, two, three, four, five, six books that are just piled up that are like, waiting to be read so it's it's very chaotic but it's a good problem to have you know <laughs> yeah, it could be worse what about you Anna was there something on the list that you wanted to, um to read and just haven't got around to yet yes absolutely so the ones that I haven't got around to reading but really want to read was similarly to you the promise so Shoggy Bane I've been meaning to read for ages but there was just something about it that makes me slightly hesitant to start it I think it feels like quite an intense book, maybe, or quite heavy subject matter, at least. And I'm just like, I will get around to it. I will get around to it. But I haven't quite yet. And then also really want to read Half of a Yellow Sun by Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie. I absolutely loved Americana. It's one of my favourite books ever. She is such an incredible author. Um, and so this one, again, it's on my bookshelf. This is like the bookshelf of doom. I own all these titles, but I just haven't read them yet. So that is on my list. And then I actually, looking at the list, found a completely new book that I hadn't heard of before, which was called, which is called To Sir With Love by E.R. Braithwaite. Um, and that was from the 1952 to 1961 section and about this man from Guyana and he comes to the UK and um, becomes a teacher in the east end of London and then it's about his dealings with being a black man in Britain and the sort of experiences that he sort of thought he would expect coming from the Commonwealth to the UK um, and the, the reality the harsh realities of of what happened when he was here and 
how he wasn't accepted and you know he was in the war and he was sort of expecting you know had a great education and was sort of expecting certain things but um yes that's definitely on my list as well to read i've read um half a yellow sun oh i really really liked it and it just i learned a lot from it because i had no idea there was this um state that was created for eight months during the nigerian civil war that was complete news to me whilst being a really interesting readable book as well she's brilliant i'd really recommend i know it's not on the list but i really would recommend americana if you haven't read it okay very very good tom were there any books um that you saw on the list that you've perhaps um discovered hadn't seen before or some that have been on your to read list for ages and um you're gonna sort of put to the top of your list um so favorites i say the remains of the day um kazuru ishiguru so I didn't love it as much as Never Let Me Go, but weirdly I found the similarities between both because they've got this theme of having to do your duty um, within your place in society. And that's also true of the more recent one, Clara and the Sun, where in each case the characters just, they're sort of a serving class. One's a butler, one's a clone that's basically exists for, for their organs. That's the reality in Never Let Me Go. And one's an android so they're very very different books but they all somehow address the same theme which i just think is very very clever yeah i've also read um the remains of the day uh, it's the only um ishiguru book i've read so far um but i really enjoyed it although it's um it's quite well i don't want to give anything away but it is sad in part um but it's about um Stevens the butler isn't it who goes on a um journey to the west country and sort of um in the 1950s and reflects on what life was like in in the house that he's the the butler in um between the walls isn't it and and I think what you were saying about there's you know the um the clone did you say and never let me go yeah um and then um with the butler and what was the other character you mentioned the uh, the android in Clara and the Sun. The android, you know, in some ways there's that theme of like to serve, isn't there? Being there to serve and that's their purpose. And I think that comes through really clear um, with Stevens, the butler. And for me, it was quite a sad exploration of um, that sort of um, conflict between wanting to serve and also wanting to love and have his own sort of life separate from his service but I think the service and what that meant to him was stronger than than perhaps some other aspects of his life which we won't reveal. Oh I haven't read it but again that review makes me want to read it so picking up lots of book recommendations today definitely. So were there any other books on the list that you'd read? Yes, there are two other books that really stood out to me from the list. One is White Teeth by Zadie Smith, and that is the 1992 to 2001 era. So that is uh, the year that I was born, 1992. Um, That's not the reason that I like it. So I remember seeing White Teeth on my mum's bookshelf at home and being like, I need to read this book. It looks really good and just kept walking past it. And then a couple of years ago, I finally picked it up and just really, really loved it. Um, So it starts with the unlikely friendship between the Englishman Archie Jones and the Bengali Muslim from Bangladesh, Samid Iqbal. And they're bonded by their experiences in World War Two. 
and we meet them and they're sort of at different life stages so they're married and they've got children and they're sort of all living in north london um, and it's really the story of both of their families and how they intertwine um, but the book sort of deals with really important themes like identity and belonging and race and religion and it's just a really interesting introspective on Britain's relationship with immigrants from the British Commonwealth um, and Sadie Smith is an incredible author um, you just get so drawn into the characters and if you haven't read it absolutely please do there are so many sort of intricate moments in the storylines you've got each new chapter is from a different character's perspective and at one moment you could be thinking about future mouse or the other moment you could be thinking about an extremist group it's it sort of goes from such highs and lows but it's really brilliant and i i read today that she wrote it when she was 24. wow isn't that amazing i i was not doing that at 24. i was not writing sort of brilliant wonderful i'm still not writing brilliant wonderful books. <laughs> <laughs> and then the other book that i really wanted to quickly mention was um girl woman other by bernadine everisto and that was the 2019 booker prize winner and oh, it's amazing. I know I say this about every book I'm talking about, but honestly, this book is incredible. Have either of you read it? No, um, <gasps> my um, no. my gaps were all in that that final list. So the most recent ten years, which is fairly shameful, but I think that was at the top of that list for me. Yeah. yeah. Well, you can either use our lovely local library service in West Sussex to borrow a copy or you can use the one from my bookshelf Tom um, to borrow a copy because it's actually got it right here it's so good Thank um, you. and it is how to explain the most beautiful book right it is there's like sort of I'd say 12 characters they're mostly women they're mostly black so British um, British based and it's sort of it's their stories are slightly interwoven but they're mostly sort of standalone stories and it's just about the sort of black british experience um in modern britain and there's some real heartbreaking moments there's moments um that sort of deal with abuse or deal with sort of um working out your identity and sort of your gender orientation and all of this it's just amazing and what i loved about this book is that it felt very experimental so as you read it there is no punctuation whatsoever which don't let that put you off if that would put you off at all because it's just so poetic and lovely and beautiful and you sort of get used to not having any punctuation and then sort of as you get into it you're like well I don't really notice anything different anymore um she's a brilliant author I've just picked up from the library um her memoir manifesto which i'm really excited to read as well does the punctuation include paragraphs so yeah no it does include paragraphs so oh that's okay yeah it's not yeah, very popular I, I, I had flashbacks but... to um jack kerouac there and oh, that was no. not putting but that, that that looks okay that looks readable no yeah it's, it is very very readable there's basically just like no i mean there's commas but there's no full stops and there's no capital letters at the beginning of her sentences the only capital letters that there are are for names or I and the characters that she creates are just you really feel for them and you fall for them and you just get so drawn into their stories it's the best. Tom were there any other books that you wanted to talk about from the list? So yeah Wolf Hall by Hilary Mantel so obviously 
very well written. It was a huge success. I don't know about you two and if you read it, but the difficulty I had was that because it was historical and featuring real real people, it had to be accurate and everyone was either called Thomas or Henry. So I kind of lost track about who was being spoken about. And like, you know, in, in a complete fiction, you would just change the names. So I did struggle with that. Um, but I, it did make me think of uh, something that author Harriet Evans told us the other day, that the name Wolf Hall is, they're the last two words in the book. And it's basically just Henry VIII's itinerary for where he's going next. And Wolf Hall is where he meets Jane Seymour, setting up the next wife. Wow. Makes me want to read it. Yeah, so you know all what's to come. It made me want to read Wolf Hall when she said that. And you've made me want to read it even more, Tom. So here we go. We hope that you enjoyed that conversation. Make sure that you don't miss out on future episodes by subscribing to Lend Us Your Ears. Happy reading. Thanks to Anna and Becca. I'm Tom, and the music was Happy Clappy Ukulele by Shane Ivers at silvermansounds.com.